Hello, this is Father John Arnold, and this is Oral Valley Catholic. I'd like to read you a very short poem from the English poet Elizabeth Jennings, and the title of the poem is Delay. The radiance of the star that leans on me was shining years ago. The light that now glitters up there my eyes may never see, so the time lag teases me with how. Love that loves now may not reach me until its first desire is spent. The star's impulse must wait for eyes to claim it beautiful, and love arrived may find us somewhere else. Faith, magical thinking, how it is that faith changes how we see our past and our future. Magical thinking, quite the opposite. Give me a moment and I'll explain. In the poem Delay, Elizabeth Jennings compares love with light from a distant star or a galaxy. So consider that a star that's 25 million light years from the planet Earth and a star, a second star that's 50 million light years from the planet Earth. We both see the light that comes to the planet at the same time, but they left at two different times, 25 million uh, light years apart. And so we're seeing two paths at the same time. And the other aspect of that is, is that we don't actually see what's happening at either star in how we see real time. Either of those stars could have gone supernova and they look very different uh, now if you were within uh, less than a light year of the star. Uh, than they did when the front light first left them 25 million years ago. And so the point of that is, is that this light hits us now. It comes from the distant past, and we're, we're observing something that's relative to something that's happening somewhere else. So Elizabeth Jennings compares that to love. For instance, let's say your parents loved you, and you always wondered why they did something. Then at 45 years of age, you saw what they did was this great sacrifice of love or in a, another relationship where you have grown up and as you look back on your past and you see the love that was given you differently, it's like the light from the star arriving, the light of love arriving, belong after it left the source of, of life. And so if you just think of all those sources in your life of love in your past coming to you at a moment of understanding, a moment that can change how you see your life, how you understand hurts and successes in the past. You see what Elizabeth, is trying, Elizabeth Jennings is trying to accomplish in her poem, Delay, that, uh, must, that love, like these lights from the star, must, quote, wait for eyes to claim it beautiful, a love arrived may find us somewhere else. But it's how you look into the past. What's faith? Faith is trust in the goodness and the love of God. Um, our faith grows over time. How we understand our lives grows over time. In the gospel today, which we're going to turn to in a minute, Jesus says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll see, you could tell a tree to uproot itself and plant itself in the middle of the ocean. When you read scripture, um, you can look at it 
in trying to understand how Jesus is talking to us about trust uh, in God, in understanding, in our growth in faith and relationship with God. Or we can think of faith as magical thinking. And so we're going to talk a little bit now about what magical thinking is and how faith is the antidote to magical thinking, why it's so important for happiness in life. Elizabeth Jennings was an English poet who died not very many years ago. She had a very troubled life. She had very disappointing relationships with men. Uh, she was in a mental hospital for a while, but she was a very devout Catholic woman. And though she wrote thousands of poems, um, many of them were about religion. And so when you read an Elizabeth Jennings poem, you're looking for this underlying experience of faith. How is it that Love, which reaches you over time, changes how you think about love. Well, in the Gospel today in Luke, this is what it says in chapter 17. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your servant, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here immediately and take your place at table. Would he not rather say to him, prepare something for me to eat, put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. You may eat and drink when I am finished. Is he grateful to that servant because he did what was commanded? So should it be with you. When you have done all you've been commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what we were obliged to do, the gospel of the Lord. What did you think of that opening line? If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Because you know the way that that's gotten used and inappropriately in Christianity. The reason the person you love was not cured from cancer is you didn't believe enough. The reason that... Uh, this didn't come true is because you didn't believe enough. But that the idea that you make faith like magic um, is the very contrary, I think, of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about faith and being this unprofitable ser servant. First, let's take a moment and talk about magical thinking. Magic's making a comeback in American culture as Christianity declines in practice. What happens is people are looking for control over their lives, and magic is very much about control over your lives. Tarot cards are how it is that you can know the future and do something about it. Um, if you go for a palm reader or astrology, how it is that you can know and do something about it, or, or even in its more virulent forms where people put curses on each other or, or love potions. There's a really good book by Tara Isabella Burton, which I commented on in a previous um, podcast called Strange Rites. And she goes into the comeback of magic, and especially amongst the more educated and wealthier Americans, because magic really appeals to the whole idea of I'm in control. And if you can convince yourself that if you just believe enough, you can make things happy happen. Uh, well, this has been in America long before our lifetimes. New thought, 
by Phineas Quimby was uh, a new religion uh, shrouded in Christianity that came into the United States in the uh, 19th century, got picked up by a Hindu yogi named Yogananda. Steve Jobs was a great devotee of Yogananda, but it was putting meditation, uh, yoga techniques, and powerful positive thinking to try to make the future come to pass as you would have it come to pass. Well, you know, at the root of human problems is magical thinking. You know, it's, it's present in the Bible if you're, if you're paying attention. So in the third chapter of Genesis, do you remember how the serpent, uh, which is supposedly be the wisest of all creatures, tempts poor Eve, says that if you eat this forbidden fruit, um, you will be like God. At the base of the temptation is to distrust God's plan for you, Eve, and instead take control. And so how is that magical thinking? Magical thinking can easily be defined as this. Doing something material, something in this world that involves materiality and words, and expecting a divine effect. And so in eating the fruit of the tree, she thinks she's going to become like God. Um, But what the result is, is entirely different, right? But that's not the last example of magical thinking. Um, Even in the book of Genesis, if you go to the Tower of Babel, um, which is the story in Genesis 11, do you remember that Genesis says that the people of Babel read Babylon? And it's um, the, they love the wordplay in, in Hebrew in the, in the Bible because Babel sounds like Bilal, which means like a, a babble. It's why we talk about people babbling. It really goes back to this story about this uh, tower in Babel. That was actually an historic um, building that they were talking about. In, the, um, in, in modern Iraq, in the, in the Fertile Crescent, where the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers run, um, they didn't build pilgrim, uh, they didn't build uh, pyramids like the Greeks built pyramids. They built ziggurats, which have multiple levels. And each level had a reference to one of the spheres of, of the cosmos. So for the ancient person, the way the cosmos was put together is Earth was at the middle, then there was a sphere with the sun in it, then another sphere with the moon in it. Then there was other spheres with the traveling stars. Uh, planetartes, I believe, is the right Latin, uh, Latin word. It's where we get the word planet. It literally means traveling star. And then the imperium, which is the backdrop where we think of the major constellations moving. But they could see that they were moving, but at different rates. And so they imagined them to be different spheres. So what the Tower of Babel probably was, was one of these ziggurats, which has a different level for each one of these spheres, so that when you arrive at the top of the tower, the ziggurat, um, the zigzag um, uh, uh, pathway up the ziggurat, you arrive at the place of divinity, and that is probably where sacrifice took place. Uh, it was like uh, the Holy of the Holies in the, the Jerusalem temple. 
Um, it's, it's where uh, God dwelt. And so literally the ziggurat was trying to build a place uh, up to the heavens. And that's the story in chapter 11 where God looks down and sees, wow, these people are building a, a tower to heaven. It's not that it's going to go 23 million miles. Um, that's not what they thought. It was this ritual, magical understanding of how you bring the entire cosmos to earth in the form of the ziggurat. But you see magical thinking. It's condemned in the Torah, especially necromancy. But that doesn't stop Saul, of uh, Tar uh, Saul, uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel, from going to a necromancer so that he can bring back uh, the prophet Samuel from the dead. That's in uh, 1 Samuel. And he wants to be able to talk to uh, uh, the prophet so he can find out what's going to happen. It's how he thinks about prophecy. You'll see uh, those examples in 1 Kings, uh, child sacrifice. Magic is practiced throughout the Old Testament and condemned by the prophets of Israel and the law of Israel. Uh, in the book of Maccabees, you see that the Maccabees lost soldiers because they wore magical amulets under their tunics when they went into battle and they were killed. And so the book of Maccabees says um, that they were killed because they tried to resort to magic. Even in the Acts of the Apostles, where uh, Simon Peter takes on Simon Magus, who wants the magic of the apostles and control of the Holy Spirit, this fight between magic and faith is part of the whole story of Judah and Israel. I think it's interesting that the occult is making such a comeback in Western societies. Um, and so uh, ought to avoid it, obviously, but also ought to try to understand it because there's something important, important being said in the Gospels today. In magic you're trying to take control of the future, either through an incantation or through tarot cards or whatever the occult mechanism is. You're trying to force your will on material reality. And so when you look at the gospel and says, boy, you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Is that what Jesus is saying? that if you really trust in him, you can do things that actually make no sense. I mean, why would you want to take a mulberry tree and throw it into the ocean um, and, uh, and, and root it and plant it there? That doesn't make sense. But it does make sense to believe that you have faith, you can do impossible things, like you could take the gospel out and convert the world. And so I think that's why there's the next story, who among you would say to your servant who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here immediately and take your place at table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare something for me to eat? Put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. You may eat and drink when I'm finished. Is he grateful to that servant because he did what he has commanded? So it should be with you. When you've done all you've been commanded, which is to take the gospel out, then it's, we are unprofitable servants. We've done what we were obliged to do. You know, it, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to understand that Jesus was asking the impossible of these men, and they trusted him, and they took the gospel out. 
I would also say that if you think about our present time, um, where we're not getting very many vocations to the church and the priesthood or religious life, uh, even vocations to marriage has declined. Um, you can get very discouraged about these things, but faith is like a star that Elizabeth Jennings talks about. Shines brightest on the darkest of nights. And to believe that God will bring his promises to pass. Have you ever thought about what Christ's answer to magic is? He doesn't give the disciples um, magical power over the future. He gives them something far more powerful. It looks like magic, but it's exactly the opposite. So I want to take a moment and I want to talk about the sacraments and magical thinking. And so we're going to turn now to that topic. If you consider Elizabeth Jennings' poem, Delay, as a poem that is about the receptive soul, um, receptive eyes and mind receive the light of stars that leaves at different time. The receptive soul receives love that reaches her in different ways at different times. She's moved on, but when the light arrives, she's somewhere else than she used to be. And the way I understand the poem is, now she sees it differently. Faith is very much about being receptive uh, to reality and to uh, the love of God and trusting that God's promises uh, will be fulfilled. And, you know, it's going to look different to you at 16 than it does at 66, I can tell you that. But there is still magical thinking that dominates the world. Before I talk about the, how, what the church is, what Christ's response to magical thinking is, Think about magical thinking as you look at the history of the world, and especially things that are happening right now. This is another poem which I really like, and I think it's very, it just expresses things beautifully. This is written by Eric Fried, who lived from 1921 to 1988. He was Jewish, born in Austria, escaped Austria in 1938, when Nazi Germany annexed it, made it to England, where he kind of made his career. After the war was over, he wrote a poem that became famous, and the poem is called The Measures Taken. See if you can understand this poem about the magical thinking he sees in the world, especially in uh, the causes of the Second World War. This is The Measures Taken by Eric Fried. The lazy are slaughtered, the world grows industrious. The ugly are slaughtered. The world grows beautiful. The foolish are slaughtered. The world grows wise. The sick are slaughtered. The world grows healthy. The sad are slaughtered. The world grows merry. The old are slaughtered. The world grows young. The enemies are slaughtered. The world grows friendly. The wicked are slaughtered. The world grows good. Is any of that true? Or is it magical thinking, reasons that people wage war, or even that the evil that they intend to do? The idea is doing something um, with weaponry, doing something with the materiality of this world, and you get rid of the world's problems, the lazy, the ugly, the foolish, the sick, the sad, the old, enemies, the wicked. And what happens? What happens? 
We all become industrious, beautiful, wise, healthy, merry, young, friendly, and good. Nonsense. It's at the heart of what magical thinking is. It only seems to work if you buy into the disorder of it all. And then you be, begin to fade away. You don't see reality as it really is. That's really the problem of magic. It only works if both people believe in whatever's happening. And then it twists how you see things, how important it is to see the world in faith, to see the world how Jesus sees it. And so what is Jesus' response to magical thinking? Because if you say that magic is doing something with materiality and words to cause a divine effect, what do you think about a sacrament? The priest does something with materiality and divine words and causes sanctification. Is it magical thinking or is it act exactly the opposite of magical thinking? You see, magic gives you power, gives me power, supposedly, as Mr. Freed talks about. But the sacraments are exactly the opposite. The, exact, the sacraments are something that God does for us, and because he does it for us, that changes reality. Um, Jesus tells us to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. So what do we believe that happens when we do this impossible thing that Jesus tells us? We believe that our children, that we believe that the faithful that come to baptism are changed and they enter into the life of God in confirmation. And remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, this is um, a, something material, having a divine effect, receiving the Holy Spirit. So when the bishop puts his hands on you, like in, uh, they did in uh, Acts of the Apostles chapter 8, and he anoints you with oil, a divine effect. God's love comes into your life. It dwells in your hearts and the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And then think about the Eucharist. Again, it's something that the priest, uh, who is the opposite of a magician, because a magician is doing his own power, exercising his own power. A priest is chosen to be the instrumentality through holy orders of this work of feeding uh, people at the Lord's table with the body and blood of our Lord. And so for someone who's been baptized, someone who has entered into the life of the Holy Spirit, the Eucharist, like manna in the desert in the story of Noah, provides um, the transformation and the nourishment needed for the Christian life to endure and proceed along the, uh, along the, the journey of sanctification. Baptism, because it gets rid of original sin. Baptism's like when you clear out the backyard and get rid of the weeds, the rocks, and you plow up the ground because you want to build a garden. But you got to get the garbage out of the way. Confirmation is when God is planted in each of us in a heart, um, in, a, in a soul that's prepared to receive him through baptism. And then Eucharist is the way that God feeds 
that life through his own body and his blood. It's the exact opposite of magic because I didn't make this up. I'm not making any of this happening. That's why the church is always very careful to talk about persona Christi, that the priest does this in the person of Christ because the only one who can have a divine effect is divinity. And God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is divinity. And so instead of a human being using magic like an apple or necromancy or an amulet to try to achieve some divine purpose, instead God himself takes common things like water, uh, olive oil, bread and wine, and he uses those things to transform us. You know, slowly the light comes on in each of us as we consider the life of Christ. That's why I like these two poems, Delay by Elizabeth Jennings and uh, Eric Fried, The Measures Taken. You have to admit with both of those poets, uh, on a personal level, they both suffered so much. Elizabeth Jennings, they made fun of, she was made commander of the British Empire towards the end of her life. But essentially she was, if not homeless, she just went from place to place where she lived. The British press said she was a bag lady. So sad to take such a good poet and treat them so shabbily. Um, but that's the world that we live in. Words that hurt. Words that try to make people less than they are. For Eric Fried, a victim of the Nazis, to understand that all of these pretenses, there you can use evil to make the world industrious, beautiful, wise, healthy, merry, young, friendly, and good, that this is just dark thinking. But friends, magic is always dark thinking. You know, I'll leave you with this. I hope you remember Christopher Lee. I guess you have to be of a certain generation to remember all the movies he was in that were involved in vampires or whatever. And he was Sauron or Sauron, I guess, in Lord of the Rings because he loves the Lord of the Rings because it seems to be talking about magic, but something much more Christian is going on in the Lord of the Rings. But you could see it on YouTube, and I watched it, uh, the story uh, it's about a minute and a half where uh, Christopher Lee is talking in this university in Ireland, and someone asks him how many books that he has on the occult, uh, and that the rumor is, according to the speaker, that he has a vast library, 20,000 volumes, all on the occult. And Christopher Lee stops it, and he says, that's not true. It's never been true. I have five books. They've been given to me. Uh, I don't really spend any time looking at them. They mean nothing to me. And the problem of the occult is this, he says. It'll turn you dark and insane because it is an upside way down of thinking. And I would say it puts you at the center of things. But imagine sacramental thinking, thinking along with Christ, where he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll do impossible things. If you listen and you trust in me, you'll be at my table. What I ask you to do seems impossible, but if you have faith, the impossible that I have described for you will come true. So my friends, I hope you're not disappointed. Think all you want and just bear down and wishful thinking that that convertible Maserati is out there in the parking lot 
But I'm telling you, it's not going to be there. If you hope and trust and have faith in the promises of Christ, my friend, God always keeps his promises. Because it's not magic. It's your Father and divine providence. And this is something we can all trust in. So this has been Father John Arnold. This has been another great edition of Oral Valley Catholic. And we'll see you again next week.